0: This presentation was from UX Australia 2017, held in Sydney. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. Continuing our thread of designing, again, in physical spaces, I'd like to introduce Sophie. Uh, and she's going to tell us, you know, talk us uh, talks through a case study about prototyping in um, in medical environment. Yes,
1: Thanks. Exactly.
0: Awesome. Okay. Um... So yeah, my name's Sophie. Uh, Just to introduce me and what we do. So I work for the customer experience company. We're a design management consultancy, and we do everything that is related to customer experience. So put your hand up if you're familiar with prototyping lots of hands as I would have expected. Uh, So prototyping is literally just the ability to test your idea and iterate on it before you make an investment. And um, I think Carolina's uh, presentation was an excellent example of some pretty sophisticated prototyping. Uh, So I'm going to talk about that a bit more. So prototyping in medical centres, we were really lucky to get the opportunity to be able to actually prototype concepts in a live working medical centre. And I know, as Carolina said, there are lots of cases where you'd like to be able to do that, but you just can't because it's not safe. Um, So we really saw this as a great opportunity that we wanted to take hold of. Um, It was the same idea, let's test things to see what works, what fails, um, to see whether it warranted an investment. Uh, what we also could see while we were testing was the the data implications that it had on the business. When we had something in place, what was actually happening in, in the business to those numbers, for example. Uh, we had a few... Like premises we had no tech, it was all very manual. we had um, had to test things in sequence so that we could see what we were testing, what implications that was having, and we had no leave behind so we while we could make a mess for two weeks they let us make a mess. Um, we had to take it all away afterwards so just to give you um, a bit of Context first, we did a lot of ethnographic research to get to this point. We spoke to a lot of customers, we spoke to a lot of staff, and we looked at lots of operational data. And that enabled us to come up with our five kind of opportunity areas. Um, and these were both really resonated with. Customers. That's cu- the the um, insights that we gained from customers related to these things, and we also saw looking at the organisation's operational data the um, the opportunity that there was available. So I think I've just missed something. I just want to get you into the the feel of it. So this is an organisation that runs um, medical centres across the country. This is bulk billing medical centres, first in, first out, non-appointments, just. Cast your mind back to the last time you had to go and sit in one of these environments and wait for a doctor. I really just want you to embrace that feeling um, because we're going to talk a bit more about that. So I think it's worth saying that at this point we could have written some. We had quite a lot of data. We had quite a a substantial amount of insights. Of course, we could have written some strategy strategy document, but we were able to say, "Hey, no, this is um, an opportunity where we can prototype. Let's." let's have a go at it. I am going to talk about the top three today. Uh, So, the first one there is making waiting easier. So, this is everything from when you've actually uh, checked in to see your doctor to that period where you're just waiting. And remember, this is a non-appointment environment, so you don't have a specific time for that. You're just waiting to be called. Uh, Service uplift. So, everything... Related to the experience you have with reception. Really, customer service. Quite um, quite an obvious one there, I suppose. And then the last one, um, improving customer flow. I think that this is maybe a, a nicer way to talk about queuing. And as being English, um, I feel like I'm an expert on queuing, but I'm sure that you guys have all done queuing as well. Um, what we wanted to... So'll just so for each opportunity area we actually had there were obviously multiple um, options, and we had to go into those concepts with um, knowing exactly what we we were looking for so we we actually chose two medical centers to be able to test We chose one that had a, a lower patient volume, so it's more around seeing 400 patients a day, for example. That's still quite a lot of people. And the other was more seeing like 800 patients a day. And one was in a lower socioeconomic area and one was in a higher socioeconomic area. Uh, so before we started, for each of those opportunity areas and for each of the... Um, concepts we tested. We wanted to have a hypothesis, so like prototyping, think of it as an experiment. Um, what are we actually trying to test here? And measuring. Uh, Sharon talked about this in her opening talk yesterday. It's so important to measure. Like Know what you're measuring in advance and you know focus on it. And the last one there, time box it. Um, not all of the things that I'm going to talk about were actually in place for the same amount of time. Some didn't need that long and some did did need quite a bit of time. Um, But in total, we were only there for two weeks. So two weeks was kind of the longest time that we could test things for. But I think that when you are, when hopefully you do get the opportunity to do something like this, just think about how long it has to be in place because some of the things are very manual and there's only a certain amount of time that you can actually physically test things for. Uh, So this first one, making waiting easier. So everything from when you've checked in to see the doctor and then you're just waiting to be called. So I want you to, yeah, just really get into the feeling of this. It's a very dull environment. Um, You've sat there. You could be sitting there for an hour and a half. Your phone's probably died. You're, all, you're, you know, you're wondering whether it's really worth bothering staying. Do I really, do I, do I really have a sore throat? Do, like, maybe I don't. Maybe I can just fix my... Maybe Google has the answer, you know? Um, so we had a hypothesis here. So if we actually distract people while they wait, then the do not attends would decrease. So hopefully you're quite rightly thinking, what on earth are do not attends? So those are the people who check in to see a doctor and for whatever reason, um, after... An hour, or could be after ten minutes, um, they they decide to leave. So they never get, they never see the doctor. And we, um, for this organisation, you know, that is revenue walking out of the door, and it's obviously a, um, an unsatisfied customer. So we wanted to improve that waiting experience. Um, and as you'd know, like if you literally just wait for a phone to ring. It never rings. So if you can actually distract people, we had a hypothesis um, that we could reduce those do not, do not attends. Um, so we put a few things in place. <laughs> we put in water coolers, uh, phone chargers, a kid's play area and a coffee cart. None of these are that groundbreaking, but when you've gone from an environment where there really isn't very much going on, these are improvements. And actually, remember when we put in the, the water... Um, a patient saying, "Oh, water! How exciting!" And I was like, "Okay, okay, good. There's a lot of opportunity here. Excellent." <laughs> so I just want you to um, put your hands up if you, for which one you think had the biggest impact. So if you think that it was A that managed to reduce the do-not-attends, put your hand up. Okay, water's not. A, yeah, we're good. We're good with water here. And um, B, the phone charges. Yeah. Yeah, it's important to be able to check Facebook. C. Okay, yeah, quite similar to B, yeah. And the last one, coffee. Yeah, okay. Well, I also thought it was coffee. So it's pretty middle ground with the Bs, C and Ds, actually. I also thought that it would be coffee because coffee lovers are very passionate. But it was actually C, the kids' play area. Um, and I think that this is a testament to how difficult it is to enter- entertain small children while you're waiting to be called. So if you've got a two-year-old that is running around and screaming, you're obviously going to think, "Nah, this is just too hard. So um, C had the biggest improvement. So, But I'll just take it back a step. We, while these were in place, um, we actually had A, B and C all in place at the same time. Um, and we measured the do not attend, but we also looked at things like the customer feedback we were getting um, about each area, also how much water was actually drunk. Um, and then D was an interesting one. So the coffee cart, we had to pay $700 for... We had a much tighter budget than Carolina's, unfortunately, doing Flinders Street Station. Um, we had to pay $700 uh, for the coffee cart for the day, and the coffee cart only made $60 So, yeah, I know, it's very disappointing. Um, People just were, yeah, it just was not viable, so we threw it out. It was only in place for a single day. So the next one I'm going to talk about is uplifting customer service. So this is everything related to um, how reception actually interacts with patients. Um, I feel very strongly about this one. Policy and procedures absolutely have a place, but they cannot replace true empathetic interaction between humans like just can't unfortunately Um, and I think one you know there are a couple of pieces of data with this that come to mind so it's some 50% of an experience is actually an emotional one and uh, emotions make up a 75% of a buying decision so it's huge Um, and unfortunately in this environment the policies and procedures were kind of that true customer interaction. Very risk-averse, very do-not-apologise-in-case-somebody-takes-you-to-court kind of thing, Um, which is just not how you build relationships with people. So we had a um, hypothesis here, our next science experiment. If we implement customer uh, needs training, so get back to the basics of how we interact with people, and also establish customer... um, Feedback loops and give that information back to reception on a daily basis and create some excitement around it will actually increase uh, our customer feedback. And we use uh, MPS as the measurement for that, but you could use a whole variety of things. So, as I said, we had quite a lot of training for reception. Um, we talked really about the why we were doing this, what kind of complaints people were getting at the moment. Um, the behaviours that we wanted to instil and, and how you create empathy. And we did lots of role-playing. And then for the two-week period we were actually there, we also gathered um, customer feedback. And at the end of the day, in a very manual way, we then put that up on a board. So the next day we could create an, a huddle and say, hey, the MPS is this, that's you know, increased this much. People are saying this about you, um, you as a like they called you out specifically as a receptionist, but they're not very happy with the wait time still. And it got some excitement going. It's like not uh, a way that they'd been used to operating as a as a company, so they were quite excited about just getting that customer feedback. The last one here is in relation to customer flow, and as I said, I think this is just a bit of a nicer way of say in queuing, but it's really everything related to your place in the queue. Um, This is quite closely linked to the first one, and actually there's a whole psychology around waiting. My colleague Freya Elliott did a talk on the psychology of waiting at last year's UX Australia, so if you are interested in that more, then do check it out. It's very interesting. It sounds very boring, but it's very interesting. Um, But with queuing... Here, as I said, this is everything related to your place in the queue. And uh, this was an environment, unfortunately, where you had no cues for the place in the queue. You're you're sitting there thinking, hey, did they just skip ahead of me? Getting, you know, very anxious, like a bit annoyed. um, Or maybe you need the bathroom, but you don't want to go in case they call you. Uh, It also looks chaotic, so you kind of have those questions around, do these guys really have their shit together anyway? Um, we thought that there, there, was this, there was huge opportunity to improve this. So we tested quite a few things here. It's a little bit more complicated, but our hypothesis essentially was if we um, make some changes to how people are queued and customer flow, that we can actually reduce perceived wait times. So not actual wait time, but just how long people feel they're waiting. So the target, reduce perceived wait time. We um, trialled a few things here. My lovely colleague Scott, um, being a concierge and providing that more of a rigorous, um, it appeared like the, the queue was being managed more with bollards and things like that for example. Um, the next one is providing patients with numbers and this is not just to call you by a number but it gives an indication of where people are in the queue. So if I am A13 and A11 has just been called, then I know that I'm two people away. Pretty simple, pretty basic, but let's see if it makes a difference. And the last one there, so we actually directly allocated patients to a doctor. When they came in and said, hey, I can see... Um, I don't mind who I see, we said, right, OK, well, we'll put you um, into the doctor's queue who has the, the shortest queue. And see whether waiting for a specific queue rather than kind of a a broader queue made any difference. Okay, so I've talked about the opportunity areas and the concepts that we put in place to test them. But I actually just want to bring it up a level. I will tell you which one kind of brought the biggest bang for the buck. Don't worry. But I think that, um, like many businesses, this one that we were working for didn't, doesn't run on warm and fuzzy feelings. It uh, runs on revenue. That's just the reality. And so we had to prove or link back the the concepts that we put in place to revenue. And I want to talk about that. So the first one, with the uh, did not attends, what we actually did is... For the period that we uh, those concepts were in place, we measured the, dis- the percentage that the did not attends reduced, and then we applied that to um, the year, the previous year, for example, and calculated how much adif- additional revenue that would be if those people just hadn't have left. The next one, uh, there are lots of measures for customer experience but this is a fairly simple one from the London School of Economics. This was on uplifting customer service so if you for every additional net promoter score point there's actually a 0.147 percentage increase in revenue and that sounds very small but when you apply it to a billion dollar company that's you know nothing to be sniffed at. Uh, The last one was for the improving customer flow. So we had a Bit of information about this one as well. We knew that a significant proportion of people only ever came in, into this medical centre once. And we also know that the average time that you, the, the average frequency of vi- visiting a doctor is um, f- between five and six times a year. So there was significant improvement that could be made there. Uh, but f- what we could see from the the significant difference we were able to make to perceived wait time, that actually it was fairly realistic to say, hey, what would the consequence be if just one in three visited once more and calculate the revenue for that? So again, uh, an ABC kind of show of hands. I just want to see what you, which area you think brought the biggest bang for buck created the biggest, you know, improved customer experience and also created the largest revenue increase. So, A, making waiting easier. So, that was the kids' play area. And, yeah, a few hands. Uh, B, uplifting customer service. Yeah, a few hands. And C, the customer flow. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, it was definitely customer flow. Uh, who, who knew that queuing would make such a difference to a company? But it really does. So, we will just talk about all of those three. So, over the course of the pilot, we were able to see that the percentage of did not attends reduced by almost 30%. And actually, if we applied that across the year, that would be like a $3 million increase in revenue per annum. And for the second one, so there was an average of 18 points uplift in NPS. And again, we could see that that was 9 million. Uh, and for the last one, though, if people perceived the wait time to be 77% better than it was previously, so we me- measured all those with customer surveys predominantly. Was it better, the same, or was it worse than before? And people said it was 77% better. Remember, we hadn't actually changed the wait time. Uh, then it's not inconceivable to think that one in three visit once more, and that's actually some $40 million per annum, so pretty significant. Uh, so just... To summarise, I cannot tell you the importance of being able to measure your results and it's something that we, you know, we're kind of a year later now um, and able to be implementing some of these things on scale. People keep coming back to that data. There are, you know, new people enter projects, and they're like, why are you doing this? What? Like, I don't understand that. That doesn't make sense. Give them the data, and you've always, you've always got it to go back to. The second one is pivoting quickly. So when things fail, and they absolutely do, and they should, then don't be afraid to just chuck it out and move on to the next thing. And the third one is capturing stories. So I've talked quite a bit about revenue, but the stories are great anecdotes that then circulate themselves around the organisation and I'm going to end with a story. So this is a phone charger, um, looks like a very boring phone charger and it's actually one that we put out at the lower socio-economic uh, medical centre and it was there for about 30 minutes and then it was stolen. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and we were all very sad and like, oh, this is never going to work. Um, But, you know, you move on. Um, But then a few days later, this person came back and handed in the phone charger to reception and said that they were really sorry for stealing it. You know, their anxiety got the better of them. I think they were regular. And they could see all the good things that were happening in the medical centre. They could see the kids' play area and the magazines and all the things that we were trying to improve. And they wanted to bring it back. And I think that it's just such a, exactly, yeah, it's such a nice example of, hey, if you make an investment here, then people are going to make an investment in you as well. So that's it for me. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from UX Australia 2017. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.